What a joy this morning it is indeed. Uh, you know, sorrow mixed with joy. Joy because we're sending out a choice. Choice servants of God to herald the gospel of free grace to people that are undeserving. The Czech people are undeserving of this truth that liberates and saves and forgives. But just like us, we're undeserving as well. And that's what the gospel is. There's great joy to be able to do that and be part of that and part of God's work. And the Great Commission still goes forth for 2,000 years. And until the day of Christ, the Great Commission, men and women throughout the world responding to it, uh, hearts warmed by the gospel respond to it. There's great joy there, and yet there is also sorrow because um, it's not a final goodbye, but it is for some time a goodbye. And uh, removal in terms of distance, halfway around the world. And so, um, the hearts that are bound together in the midst of fellowship and ministry, God binds those hearts together. So I think for one-fifth, the, the flock shepherds and the leaders and pastors, elders of the church, and many of you who've served alongside Mark's name, you know what I'm talking about. Even in your own context, when you serve Christ with someone else, when you pray with them, when you minister the gospel, and you grow together in Christ, the Holy Spirit knits you together. It, it binds you together. And to uh, have that been torn, it is a sorrowful thing. But we truly thank God for you. Thank God for... Um, bringing you down here and just the opportunity we've had to grow and worship and serve together and now continue to serve together just in uh, different fronts. Um, I first met Marcus, uh, no, correct me if I'm wrong, Marcus, January 2002, February 2002, you don't remember either, huh? <laughs> Maybe old too, because uh, I think Serena was like six months pregnant with Elizabeth when we met. It was at Faith Bible Church College Retreat. I was up there, and a few days before, they asked me to come and meet the leaders of the college group. And they had about maybe 15, 20 some odd folks gathered together in Todd's home, Dexter's home, and uh, for fellowship, food, and prayer. And they asked me to share, and. Uh, I met Marcus there during fellowship time and I noticed right away just his uh, joyful countenance. There was, you can sense it, a spiritual intensity about him. There was a real intentionality, a real uh, focus, uh, just joy, exuberant joy emanating from him. Um, I noticed his physique as well. You know, I don't go around checking out guys' bodies, you know. That's not my thing, but if you were there with me, you'd know that you you know what I'm talking about. Cause I mean, he was like a gymnast. He was like um, one of those uh, Olympic gymnasts. Like he was, and I asked if he worked out. He's all, no, I don't work out. <laughs> liar, right? <laughs> but but big guy, strong guy, and yet such so gracious and kind and humble, and. Um, the opportunity here is testimony and a powerful testimony. And you're right, right then, I just sensed uh, spiritual leadership, spiritual potential, 
I mean, I remember seeing Bob first time, 1992, right? And the first question I asked of Bob was like, if he ever thought about being a pastor, because I just sensed Bob was cut to do it. <laughs> But um, <laughs> moving along, but since that right away. Um, and then Marcus gave me a call a few months later saying he's going to seminary if he'd come down to Cornerstone and serve with us. <laughs> and I remember uh, just being so um, humbled and grateful to God to be able to uh, serve a man like this. And it's already been six years now. It's amazing. Um, seems like yesterday they first came down and they stayed with our home for a few days because, you know, Marcus, you know, he just kind of goes and thinks later. <laughs> he came down and, like, no place to stay and no anything. And I'm here. What do I do? I have my sleeping bag. <laughs> well, you got a wife now, so we can't. <laughs> so uh, it seems like yesterday and uh, I have such fond memories with Marcus. Uh, I mean, just times of... Uh, our meetings together as pastors, thinking through scripture and praying together. One of my most fondest memories is Kazakhstan with Pakistan. We would stay up late at night, talk about Pakistan's dating problems <laughs> for like hours. And then at 2 a.m. we would close in prayer. And uh, if you ever had a chance to pray with Marcus, before he goes, he's got, he's got a week left to pray with Marcus. Go by his apartment and knock on his door and ask him, let's pray together. And it's a, it's a sweet, sweet experience to pray with him. Um, going to Archangel's together was a, was a great memory. And uh, wake up early in the morning and have crepes and coffee and just talk about his ministry and, and church and family. And just all the ministry experiences we've had together over the years. It's been just nothing but joy. Uh, one of my, I believe the greatest accomplishments that I've done, service I've done to Marcus is, I've given him a love for basketball, right? Uh, a year ago, Marcus said, oh, he loved playing ball that Sunday, and he have not dreamt about playing basketball. Tell me that. So I remember thinking, uh, you know, my job is done. <laughs> Grasshopper has graduated, and uh, where does he move on? Well, again, heart, heart is thankful for our past and thankful for the future, and thought about what to preach on today, but God orchestrated his timing perfectly. In our expositional study of 2 Timothy, we're on 2 Timothy 2.1. And what a perfect passage, verses 1 and 2, for ascending service. I can't think of a more appropriate text for Marcus and Amy than 2 Timothy 2.1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And when you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So um, we're definitely studying the Bible for everyone here. This word is preaching us for every person gathered here. But the sermon is, Doubly so, especially so for Marcus and Amy. There are two main verbs here in these two verses. The first main verb is be strengthened. Present passive imperative. Passive sense that they are recipients of this. They are to receive this. 
is done to them. And so they are to receive grace. So the ESV translation is is very faithful to the original meaning of verse 1. Be strengthened by the grace. It's not an active work that a believer does. Paul's not calling Timothy to do something, but to receive something. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 2 is a aorist middle imperative, middle voice, the idea that Timothy has to do this. He himself must apply himself, directing the gospel to do this work. And what is that work? Entrust to reliable men what you heard from me. We're also faithful to teach others. Paul has in mind here four generations. Paul, Timothy, Timothy's hearers, the reliable men, and the men and women that Timothy's reliable teachers will be teaching. Four generations. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and the hearers. So for in our context, we have four generations in mind as well. The first generation is Cornerstone Bible Church. Second is Marcus and Amy. Third is men and women like Veronica, Eva, Roddick, Daniel Adamaski, I'm pronouncing it wrong probably, Jan and Rostia. They're the reliable men and women who you'll be entrusting sound doctrine and sound life so that they might teach and more pipettors and, you know, Jans of the world, um, Hansas of the world in Czech, uh, the gospel. Four generations here in, the, in Second Timothy and four gener- generations for us. Verse 1, Paul is telling us that there is only one way you can accomplish this. You have only one way, you have only one one chance, fighting chance to do this. Appreciate Marcus's humility, confessing his weakness and our weakness and my weakness as well. That's why we need to be strong in our weakness. On our own, this is impossible. I mean, just the five commands that Paul gave Timothy, and that's the context in which he gives this, these commands. Right? Do not be ashamed of gospel, his prisoner, suffer, follow the pattern of sound teaching, guard the doctrine. He kind of makes a sidetrack with Phygelus and Hermogenes and then uh, Nisiphorus. When he comes back in verse 1, in a lot of those five commands, he says, the way you're going to accomplish this is by standing, by being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so the, the key work that we must do again and again is to uh, point out and clarify and define the obvious. And so I think for many of us, as we read verse 2, we are most we, te- we have a tendency to, to gloss over grace that's in verse 1. We kind of skip it. We almost presume upon it. That's Christianity 101. That's Sunday school. That's youth ministry. I've been a Christian X number of years. I need to get to the commands. That's where we err. That's where we hurt ourselves. And therefore hurt others. We need to go back to the foundation and and clarify 
and make sure we understand what Paul is talking about when he says, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace, it's a difficult concept, not intellectually, but um, experientially, motivationally, Spiritually, it's an impossible concept to truly comprehend and to understand because it goes against every fiber of our being. Right? The, the default belief system of our hearts is the merit system and the demerit system. This is how we, this is how we view everything, how we view ourselves and view others, all based on works. And that's the default paradigm, worldview, through which we see all things. And so grace is so contrary to that, it is, it takes a master level understanding and concentration to grasp this and hold on to grace. But not just us, our, our society, the world we live in is based on the merit system and demerit system. <coughs> the whole world is built that way. So because of that, it is challenging. It is difficult, to say the least. And so naturally, our hearts bring out all kinds of warped, Definitions of grace, all kinds of compromised, corrupted, man-centered uh, versions of grace, rather than grace that is given according to the scriptures. One popular um, definition is that God fills the gap of whatever we need. We try our best in terms of our salvation. We do our best. And then whatever we need, God makes up the rest, and that's grace. You know, I've heard this, and, you know, friends, um, you might not officially believe this. This, not might, this might not be your doctrinal statement, but if you search your heart, maybe this is your um, private, unstated belief that you work hard at at Christ-likeness, you work hard at obeying the law, you work hard, do your best in fulfilling the commands of Scripture and doing what is pleasing to God, and then God will do the rest, and that's grace. So it's a cooperation, but God is the foundation, but it's all being cooperation where God fills the gaps. Um, the illustration might be in leaping through Grand Canyon. And I might try to leap off and maybe, because I'm a little older, jump about 40 feet. No, <laughs> four feet. Right, maybe. That's okay, because God will make up, right, 4,446 feet. Right? And that's grace. So I'm on the other side. But is there someone else like, like David Eng right here? It's a little, little taller than me and a little bit more athletic. So he might jump. Four feet and two inches, right? Maybe. Right, if I was younger, I could do better, but let's say, let's say five feet, just for illustration's sake. So he needs less grace because he has more ability. 
But he, he can, no way he can cover the Grand Canyon. God still provides grace less for him, but it's still dependent on grace. Um, this is one common version of our of people's understanding of grace in the scriptures. The Bible says, absurd. The Bible says, not even close. The Bible tells us, um, we can't even come close to even jumping because we have no legs. Right. It's not God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who try their best to jump. The Bible says that not that we are just weak, we are powerless. We have no legs. We are not just powerless. We are being thrown down the Grand Canyon, tied down with all the weight of our sins committed against the Holy God. Not only that, we're tied down with all the good works, religious works we did to earn God's salvation, trying to nullify God's, God's grace, trying to establish our own righteousness out of our own pride. So we're being cast down the depths of the Grand Canyon without legs, tied down with our sins and our filthy rags, good works. And that is the reality of what the Bible says. Grace is not filling the gaps. Grace is all or none. Complete helplessness. Uh, Dr. Samuel Storm said this, and this is helpful. The first and possibly most fundamental characteristic of divine grace is that not only it presupposes sin, but also guilt. Grace has meaning only when men see, are seen as fallen, unworthy of salvation, and liable to eternal wrath. Grace does not contemplate sinners merely as undeserving, but as ill-deserving. Grace tells us we're not just undeserving of God's grace. Grace tells us we deserve God's wrath. We deserve hell. We're not just receiving what we don't deserve. We're receiving, we're not receiving what we, we truly do deserve, which is eternal separation from God and hell. This is what God's grace has done for us. This is grace in, in Paul's mind that he wants Timothy to be strengthened by. And this is the grace that God wants us to be strengthened by. And this is the grace that we send Marcus and Amy with. That they'll be strengthened by this undeserved forgiveness of all our sins. An undeserved forgiveness of all our good works done in pride. Ephesians 2. 1 through 10, depiction of who, he, who we were, what He has done, and what grace will accomplish. It's a panoramic uh, depiction of God's grace at work in believers. Who we were, what He has done, and what grace will accomplish. You are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You are dead as you are walking in sin. You are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
we are carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We're by nature children of God's wrath. Like the rest of mankind. That, that was our predicament. Children of wrath. Living out the passions of our flesh. Serving Satan. Living in his dominion. Blind. Living out all the lusts of our flesh. And verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Because He was merciful and by grace you have been saved. By grace. And then verse 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved, not by works. You've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a radical truth. God saved us, removed our sins as far as east is from the west. Infinite removal. Never part of us again. Once for all. All by faith. So someone says, how can I be saved? Do I need to do X, Y, Z? Do I need to obey? One, two, three. Do I need to do these rituals or, or be a good person? We say, no, just believe. Because you are saved by grace, not by works. Once for all. And that is what Paul is talking about. This grace is Eternal, undeserved, unconditional. Therefore, um, it is risky. When Luther discovered the gospel, 1519, the Roman Catholic Church forbade him to preach this gospel of free grace. A main reason was fear. If you preach this message, it will be chaos. We can't control people anymore. The reason people have a semblance of morality, semblance of religiosity, the reason we have order in the world is because out of fear, they go to Mass, they do these rituals, they obey the king, they obey the rules of the government. If you preach this gospel of free grace, it'll be chaos, it'll be anarchy, it'll be Romans 5.20, if uh, where sin increased, God's grace super increased. The argument is, if that is true, then we should sin all the more. Because more we sin, more God's grace will be manifest. More be realized, more be demonstrated. If that's true, let's go out and sin all we want. Sin to our heart's content. Because we are free and the more we sin, the more we will cause God's grace to abound. Therefore, he said, you can't preach this gospel of grace. Because this type of response is a possibility. But let me say something here. Luther's response. And the response of all reformers, the response of all gospel-loving Christians is this. If our concept of grace does not expose us to that possible misunderstanding, then we do not understand grace. Right? 
That's why Luther said, go and sin boldly. Right? You want to sin? Do it with all your heart. Right? Like, bathe yourself. Live for it. Be passionate for sin. Because if our preaching, understanding of the of grace does not allow for that misunderstanding, you're not really preaching grace. Let me quote to you um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This was his response to that question. The true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of this charge being brought against it. There is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this. That the people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it by thinking that there's a free license to sin. Isn't that amazing? So one of the tests, whether you're really preaching the gospel, is that there is a potential, a possibility of misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and wrong application. The Bible tells us the solution to this problem is not to add legalism, but it's to add grace. Gospel is risky. But in light of that risk, our response must not be, okay, it's too risky, giving people freedom through grace. We must add some uh, boundaries, build some walls, and create some fear, lest people might fall off the edge. No, the response to that kind of risk is to give more grace, more freedom, more joy, not legalism. One pastor said, the problem isn't that we made the gospel too good. The problem is that we didn't make it good enough. We have loaded down the gospel of grace of God with lots of oughts and shoulds and musts. Ought to be more committed, more disciplined, more obedient instead of what God has done. Forever eternal undeserved, unconditional. That's the grace that the Bible thrusts into our merit-demerit world. Our legalistic state of our hearts and our legalistic world. The Bible interjects. God speaks. God declares. There's no hope by merit and demerit. There's no Chance by works. You're saved by grace. And then here, I'm connecting it to verse 1. The grace of salvation is the same grace by which we live the Christian life. That's the connection. Where am I going with this? What is incredible is that the same grace that saved us is the grace in which we live our Christian lives, and in which we do ministry and just and serve God and serve others. Right? It's not we're saved by grace and now we live by works. Now we minister by works. No, we're saved by grace. And what's radical is that we live right now by grace. That's what Paul is saying. 
Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's present tense. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about Timothy. As you live your life, and as you contemplate not being ashamed, suffering, following the pattern, guarding the truth, and trusting the reliable man, the only way you can do this is by living and serving by the same grace that saved you. A.W. Pink said, the great mistake made by most of the Lord's people is in hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in Christ alone. Most of us have this tendency that Pink identified to seek within ourselves what is to be found in Christ alone. We want strength in ourselves rather than being strengthened by grace solely by the merit of Jesus Christ. To live by grace is to base our entire relationship, our whole lives, our ministry, our future, on the singular work of Christ on the cross, given to us by grace. And our only work is grace. Only work is faith. It is to recognize that we bring nothing of worth to our relationship with God. That even our best works are stained. Romans 5.2 is very helpful to us. We have gained access by faith into this grace. In which we now stand. We have gained access by faith into this grace. And, we're, and now where do we stand? We don't stand on works. We don't stand on our abilities, our experience, our wisdom, our strength. No, we have come into grace and we stand here. We are not only justified by grace through faith. We stand every day in this same grace. So, Just as uh, the preaching of salvation by grace alone is open to misunderstanding, so is this teaching of living by grace. It is risky. It is risky. The idea that we're not only saved by grace, but we live and serve by grace, free grace. Our natural tendency is, oh, we don't want to take it too far. We don't want to be extremists. We need to uh, add some legalism, add some fences and boundaries so that we don't fall off the edge. No, what we need is more grace more gospel, more truth, more freedom. All of us here need the grace of God. This is how we're able to live for Christ and serve Christ. Not in our strength, but in our weakness. And so there is a starting point. The starting point is, where do I start in understanding and being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? We start by seeing our weakness as a gift. So I understand what Marcus is talking about. As he considers uh, leading his family overseas, 
And uh, stepping in for Peter and Cloud No Church is a little like me stepping in to singles ministry and taking over Marcus. Right? really is. But Marcus heard that Peter's done a great job with his church. He doesn't want to ruin it. He doesn't want to hinder it. He doesn't want to destroy that work. And he's afraid people might compare Marcus to Peter, be disappointed. To be honest, I felt the same thing, one of the singles. Singles have been flourishing and growing under Marcus's leadership and teaching. I don't want to go in there and say, man, what happened to our ministry? It was so good until he came, right? Man, we were like flourishing, we were excited, and then Pastor James came, and it's dead. Like, it's, we're getting weaker. And Pastor Marcus would do ABC. Pastor James is barely doing lowercase a. What's going on? Right? I understand what he's talking about because if you've ever um, took a step toward leadership, that is what you're stepping into. You confront your utter inability, your inadequacy, your weaknesses. So our tendency as legalists is to suppress, hide, and ignore our weaknesses, pretend they don't exist, and in our pride, promote ourselves, be driven to excellence, work harder, burn, burn the candle at both ends at all costs so that we might not be revealed as, as imposters, we might not be exposed as weak men as we are. So we drive ourselves that much harder because we want to run from our weaknesses. The way to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus is to start here. To see our weaknesses as God's gifts. That's the starting point. There's no other starting point. This is the starting point of understanding and living by grace. John Calvin says, For men have no taste for God's power until they are convinced of their need of it, and they immediately forget its value until they are continually reminded by awareness of their own weaknesses. So, before Christ is sinfulness and weakness, false righteousness. After Christ, same thing. It's not after Christ, everything's well, I just got to try a little harder. Wake up a little earlier. Pray a little longer. Read the Bible a little more. I'll be okay. No, before Christ, sin, weakness, false righteousness. After Christ, same thing. Sin, weakness, and false righteousness. And being exposed to these things by the grace of God is God's gifts to us. It's God's gifts to us. Um, that's when uh, we realize we're, we can't do it on our own and we run to the grace of God. Because of our flesh, we're so prone. I don't know why this decision came to mind when I was preparing this. Um, I don't know how many of you saw this fight. Manny Pacquiao against Oscar De La Hoya. Right. Um, De La Hoya was a gold medal winner, right? Held many titles throughout his you know, long and lustrous career. 
He gets to the ring with Manny Pacquiao and he can't do anything. Nine rounds. Most say he lost all nine rounds. He didn't win a single round. So much so that he quit. He refused to come in for the next round. Right? He just couldn't do anything. There was a time, there was a few scenes where Manny was just too quick for him and you could see Oscar was so frustrated. He could even throw a punch because every time he tried, he would get two blows in the face. So oftentimes, you interview the winner, right? You interview the one who won and you go and they go, oh, give glory to God. God, give me power. God, give me strength. I can do all things in him who strengthens me, right? Man, like, I, I, I don't want to be Manny Pacquiao. What I'm trying to be is I want to be Oscar De La Hoya. I want to go, and I, I've been there. You lose all nine rounds. And they interview. So what does it look, how does it feel to be pummeled publicly right, before like millions of people for nine rounds and quit? And then Paul's saying, I thank God for this because my pride needs this. Right? My legalism, my self-boast, I thank God. Now I can do all things in Him who, glor- who strengthens me because now I'm running to God's grace. Therefore, I will boast about this loss. I'm going to make a permanent DVD and upload it to my personal YouTube and replay it every opportunity and see and remember how I got pummeled on my own strength. My only opportunity is the grace of God. The starting place. You can't go to God's grace on your own strength, on your own terms, on your own power. I'm going to rely on God's grace now. I'm going to depend on Him. No, starting place is to see and recognize your own weaknesses, your own failings, your own faults. One more illustration and I'll end. Uh, this helped me. Uh, this past week we had some people over and we're talking about the gospel. And the guy was serving as a small group leader in our church, and he's also doing uh, set-up ministry. And he said, James, what do you do when you're about to do set-up ministry and you realize your motivation is wrong? Should I just go home, right? Oh, man, my motivation is wrong. I can't serve, right? And that's like common, common mindset. Like, oh, I can't sing today. I can't pray. I can't serve. I just realized my motivation is wrong. My humble response, according to Scripture, is this. Now you're ready to serve God. Now that you see you're not, your heart's not right, that has now enabled you to sing. That has enabled you to serve God to God's glory. Because you're serving God, not like, wow, my motivation is pure. You know, I read the Bible this week, and I prayed and evangelized. Look at me carry these speakers, right? You're, you're not. If that's your heart, you're serving yourself. You're not serving God, and God is not pleased. But if you want to look at yourself, you see, oh, my heart's not right, then it's like the prodigal son. As soon as he realized, he, that's what repentance is. That's where repentance starts. 
The realization. What am I doing here feeding pigs? What has my what has become of my life because of my sins? That that insight, that revelation is is repentance. Then you are walking back to the Father. Then you are ready to serve Christ. Obvious that those of you, those of us, when I am serving out of my own righteousness, my own right motivations, I am not serving Christ. But what if you don't know? Right? Are we just too? What are you doing, brother? Go, you know, just set up ministry. I'm thinking about my motivations. And I gotta think about my heart after it's all done. Okay, my heart's good. What should I do? Ah, oh, it's too late. You know, now we're too late. No, it's just one look. And if you see sin, realize it, and you're ready. If you see wrong motivation, repent, and you're ready. If you think of the right motivation, right, what do you do? You run to the gospel. And you get lost in the gospel. But God moves you from away from self-focus to self-forgetfulness. And you are just serving because of the cross. And that's when it glorifies God. That's when, you know, um, you know we, I'll, give a, I'll give like a sports and a music and maybe it'll help. Maybe food as well. It'll help all of us. Right? We talk about being in the zone. Like 20 years of basketball, I don't know what that means, but I've heard about it. Supposedly you're playing and you're just... You're just forgetting about the score, forgetting about your opponent. The basket feels looks like a, a swimming pool. And you just lost playing, and you're just shooting lights out. Right? That's when you're at your best in any kind of like performance, where you have forgotten about yourself. You're not thinking about yourself. If you think about yourself, oh, man, what if I striked out? Or what if I missed this shot? Or what if people laugh? Then you're going to strike out. You're going to shoot an air ball. You forget yourself. You're lost. And you're just enjoying that sport. That's when you excel. Same thing in music. You're playing piano or, instru- or guitar. And you're, you're just playing. And you're lost in the beauty of that music. And you've forgotten yourself. Forgotten the audience. And you're just lost in that beauty of, of being part of that beautiful sound. That's when you're at your best. Or food for me. I understand being in the zone in terms of food. Right? You're eating, and you're savoring, and you're delighting, and you're lost in it. Like, this food is so good. You go to a different place, right? It's like a charismatic experience. And you're savoring and delighting. You don't know, and like, it's like five hours later. You have all these empty dishes all around you, and your belt's unbuckled, right? <laughs> in a public restaurant. It was, wow, that was glorious. You're just lost. You've forgotten yourself. Well, that's what the gospel does for us. Right. That's where, we, where our weakness takes us to. Right. If you're going and serving, whether it's set up ministry or leadership or as a missionary, pastor, you're going saying, I'm motivated by the right thing. My heart's good. My life is right. God must be so happy with me. You're a Pharisee in Luke 18 praying about yourself. You're not boasting in the cross. If you see wrong motivation, the repentance has started. You should rejoice. Because that weakness is a starting point to being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, right? And that weakness is to take you to where? Where you're lost 
You see your weakness. You can't trust yourself, depend upon yourself. You run to the cross and you're lost in the gospel. And so you forget all the fear of man, all your inadequacies, weaknesses, all the anxieties, all the pressures, all the odds that are against you. You're so saving the gospel. You've forgotten yourself. Then what happens? So you start with weakness to get to grace. You get lost in the gospel. And then what happens is um, God fills your closet with new clothes. God gives you garments of grace. And we've all experienced this different measure. Um, God's grace will remove your anger. Angry at God, angry at your life, your boss, angry at yourself, you hate yourself. God will remove your self-pity, give you gratitude. Right? I just cover you with gratitude. Grace will remove anxiety and fear. What if I fail? What if I disappoint? What if I'm exposed as an imposter that I am? God will remove that. I'll give you contentment. Right? In Christ. The grace of God will take away pride. Right? So it removed the pride and salvation, but we held on to pride for life and, and sanctification and ministry. By being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus today, it will remove pride today in our lives and our ministry. And will adorn us with humility. Grace will remove impatience with ourselves, with others. Grant us a spirit of forbearance. And then the gospel of God's grace will remove a heart of, ben- of vengeance, of wanting uh, equality or retaliation or making everything like fair. God's grace in life, in ministry, that He'll give us a heart of forgiveness. Heart of forgiveness. Mark and Amy, we send you as a weak church. Then we're just starting to understand our weakness. So repentance is beginning at our church and we're running to the gospel of God's grace. We're sending you therefore as a weak church and we send you as weak people. We send you because you're weak. If you thought you were strong, if you thought you're walking with a swagger into the mission field, plan, you know, serving in the church at Cloud, no, like God's gift to that church, and you're gonna just explode that church and cause it to be a mega church, and you're gonna do all of that in your own strength. You're not qualified. We will not send you, but we send you because you are weak, because you're inadequate and you're not sufficient of yourself, because you are. Strengthened, not by yourself, but by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we send you to do, to do a weak ministry. Right? We want, want you to do a weak, weak sauce ministry over there in Cladno. Right? Where it's evident that you're standing strong, not on men, on people or numbers, or size or whatever. But you're standing strong, being strengthened, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If all these things happen, by the grace of God, 
and the gospel be evident in our lives. Gospel be evident in their sending. The gospel will be evident in their ministry there. And all glory will go to God. Right? It wouldn't be, wow, Cornerstone, they did a great job of sending. They're still organized and wise and sober and biblical church. They were so good at how they organized all of this. And while Marcus and Amy, man, they, got, they were trained at Master's Seminary and he's so passionate and powerful and you know, knows the gospel and all these. And then the church there is so great. Wow, like, those are some good people. Right? That won't be the testimony. As a weak church, sending weak ministers to do weak ministry at the end, all glory will go to God to the gospel. There will be no boasting at all for us. All boast, all exaltation, go to Christ. Well, Marcus and Amy, we love you. Ah, we're going to miss you. And we look forward to hearing how the gospel is spreading forth by grace in the hearts of people in the Czech Republic. And, um, and we'll, we'll keep on meeting, but our final meeting, we'll fin- meet at the finish line in heaven, and I'll rejoice forever together in His presence. Let's pray. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Lord, we Thank you for using faithful servants to bring the gospel to us. Gospel that our God reigns. He is victorious. He has conquered sin and death on our behalf. And it's granted to us by faith. And that is the reason that Marcus and Amy are going. Your gospel. Because your gospel has saved them. Has sanctified them. That's granted them to understand their own weaknesses, to run to you. And it's because of your gospel they're being sent. Lord, we pray that they would stand here and not be moved. They would not, because of their flesh or because even the Christian world of merit and demerit system of works, that they will stand strong in the grace that is in Christ. They will be like Mary and not like Martha. Lord, that they would grow in their understanding of the gospel. They will learn, see, experience your grace. And out of the overflow of that, Lord, they will serve others and minister the gospel. And through it all, God, we pray that you will be glorified especially the blazing center of the glory of God, the cross of Christ would be lifted up. And you would accomplish this and you receive all the glory. Lord, we send them with joy. We send them, committing them into your hands. And may we do our part in our own lives by not living on our own strength, but being strengthened by Christ's grace by beginning with our own weaknesses and running to you. Pay these things in Jesus' name.